Did I ever read that? This isn't funny at all. I don't know what, like, I guess you don't know until you, like, say it in front of other people, but, like, this is one of my favorite jokes I've ever written. When making <laughs> frozen banana smoothies, the rule is if it doesn't smell like a banana, it won't taste like one either. <laughs> Why is that my favorite joke ever? I feel like it just says a lot about the world in general. I've had had a lot of occasions where I, like, pull a really, really brown, like, black banana out of the freezer. Yeah. And I, like, cut it open because if you leave the peel on it, you have to, like, cut it off. It won't just peel off anymore. And I smell it. I'm like, ugh, that doesn't smell good. But then I put it in a smoothie expecting it to taste like banana even though it just smells like freezer burn and like frozen vegetables and stuff (laughs) and i don't know how many times i guess that's why it's funny to me because it's actually it's a little prank i've played on myself multiple times and now i'm at a point in life where i have to i have to remind myself if it doesn't smell like a banana it won't taste like one either but isn't that the story of Crisis of Faith, Joe? <laughs> isn't that how we got here? Wait. So, I know this isn't the point of this joke, but you leave the peel on when you freeze your bananas? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I peel them. Well, peel them. my wife peels them, but I often, like, right now we have bananas that are too rotten to eat yeah but yeah. i they would be still sweet um For, but if you were to yeah that's peel when them, you freeze them that they, but if you were to peel them like i'm not sure if they would have enough banana integrity banana is that the right adjective there <laughs> um yeah or is that an adverb <laughs> yeah it's i think it's an adjective they wouldn't it's have an enough, adjective they wouldn't have enough banana integrity <laughs> an adjective often used by urologists <laughs> <laughs> Most frequently you'll hear the adjective banana <laughs> from your urologist. Um I think we should call this episode banana integrity. Banana integrity. <laughs> but yeah, if you uh so like if they don't have that, if they're kind of mushy to the point where they no longer have their banana integrity, then it's hard to peel them. So you just freeze them and then you can kind of just cut off the peel. But cutting off the peel is it's dangerous. Because a frozen banana is yeah. colder than anything else on the planet, as far as I know. <laughs> like, you, when you touch a frozen banana's peel, it instantly, like, you instantly lose feeling in whatever part of your body is touching the frozen banana peel. <laughs> well, so then why would you be touching it with any part of your body other than your well, fingers? Well, I'll grab it any way I can grab it. Um, <laughs> as I'm peeling. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing with this banana? <laughs> Uh, only what is necessary. <laughs> so, this is a strange episode today. Um, because all the other ones before this were totally normal, <laughs> super and, normal. and planned and yeah. regimented. Um, but I think, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I, I, it doesn't matter. I'll go. Okay. I think, you, can, I I think you should go first and that'll give me a good framework for how I'm going to go. We have each written for the next two episodes... I think it'll be the next two episodes. Um, yeah. 
which is entire it's entirely possible that we'll just end up doing them both in this episode because they didn't take as long as we thought but we'll see about that um we've both written kind of a a letter or a collection of notes or a uh a eulogy <laughs> for <laughs> our relationship with crisis of faith um, yeah and uh and you're gonna go you're gonna take the reins on it first <clears throat> I guess. Here we go. Well, let's jingle our way into it. Preacher, it feels like this might be one of the final crises of faith jingles. Is it true that every time you write one, an angel gets the tingles? Preacher, what would you say if you had to say it all in one little letter? I'd say thanks for the memories. Please don't cancel me. I'm not done, but I'm getting better. So, I mean, like, do we need to, I don't, should we say, you just said what we're doing. We'll just, let's do it. Yeah, you say it. Man. I don't know. I feel, I feel like I need a, a runway up to this or something. Like, this is, this is a big deal. This is like. An important part of our lives, I think. I think you're saying right. goodbye. I think you're right. Um, I am. Uh, are you concerned about our friendship? Have you considered? Well, that? I have. <laughs> I mean, we're doing another podcast, so no. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but I have thought about the fact that, like, we are our friendship happens on the scene of Crisis of Faith. Right. Um, yeah. So we'll be different. Um, yeah. We'll be different kinds of friends after this. Right. I think these le- my letter probably reflects that. I didn't talk about you at all, specifically. Yeah, me either. But you didn't, didn't come to mind. <laughs> but, there is, <laughs> but there is something about, like, this, particu- this particular approach to a relationship, to a friendship, that like just i don't have any use for the category of like conversations that we were having anymore i think that's yeah. kind of the that's the nature of what i am feeling at this point in the lifespan of crisis of faith is like i just and that's probably been obvious i mean we've seen even our our <laughs> listeners drop off just a little bit this last season didn't bother either one of we're kind of like yeah i see how it's not as interesting it's not as charged as it was yeah yeah it's just less <coughs> interesting whenever you're not as um mad or yeah sad or broken or whatever and you're just kind of more just talking about something and i can see that affecting like all right well the next chapter of our lives we're not like tearing down some structure anymore we're just going to be I don't know, talking to each other? <laughs> talking about the weather? About our children? Well, you know, it was interesting, because, like, you know, we've... Everybody knows this. We've been friends for a really long time, and we were really close in, like, middle school and, and high school. Um, and then kind of, like, lost touch for a long time. We didn't really... I tried to get you to smoke some clove cigarettes, and then you were like, I'm never talking to him again. Mm-hmm. And... It was kind of a, like, 
we we sort of eased back into a friendship but when we started crisis of faith we weren't really like we didn't talk regularly or anything like that and i remember like when we pitched the idea i don't even remember whose idea it was um but i would i thought like i'm really busy <laughs> and let's do this let's put out an episode once a month or let's like take a day and film or like record six episodes or eight episodes and then put them out yeah um or something like that like i just wanted to kind of like chunk it off and do a project um and you said at the time or we could do an episode every week and just be friends yeah (laughs) and i was like okay fine (laughs) whatever but that i mean that really did our our friendship regrew because we decided to to do that to sit down every week and have a conversation yeah yeah and and i think ultimately like crisis of faith became the thing that it is because of that decision now yeah would it have been a better product at the end of the day would we have said things more clearly more (laughs) concisely if we had taken a different approach probably probably but what this actually became was two guys who are actually friends not really thinking through too much of what they say before they say it often yeah. finding themselves saying things that like like I'm still to this day I'm like god I hope my in-laws never discover this podcast like I, I'm considering <laughs> yeah. taking it down because if they were to listen to the entire scope of it I think they would under I don't think they would be surprised by the scope of the podcast I don't think anybody would be you know what I mean? I think you would hear all of me in all of that. Yeah. And even people who don't know me that well would start to say, that actually kind of checks out. That makes sense. I think I know Drew better now. Um, yeah. But there are so many moments throughout it that if you were to just take them out of context or take them out of the scope of the whole thing, you'll hear me and you saying things that I'm not sure we agree with. I'm, I'm certain I don't agree with. Um, and things that I would be pretty embarrassed um, or or that I feel are just like almost outright rude at times. And like, I would never say that to somebody. I, I would never say that mm. to certain listeners. I said it to you. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I said right. it to Joe. Like, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it was like we didn't know that <clears throat> very often. Actually, I wasn't aware of an audience like. Yeah. Which was, it's good and bad, right? It does mean that you say things that are kind of like, I wouldn't have said that. <laughs> I probably wouldn't say that in public. Like, I wouldn't say that from a stage. Right. But also, it meant that, like, I was my really vulnerable self a lot of times because I was just talking to you and we were just being friends. Yeah. Yeah, and there's some, I, I don't know, there's um Jimmy Carr is a British stand-up. He's, he's kind of like... Uh, He's Great Britain's Carson Daly, right? Yeah, <laughs> except that he's also a stand-up. Um, he hosts everything over there, but he has a um, a a kind of. Rule. I mean, I don't know him personally. No, but I know who Jimmy Carr. Is. I'll introduce you. <laughs> we, <laughs> he has a uh, he has kind of a rule for his comedy writing. He writes really dark jokes, like really, really um, hard to hear things at times i i I love him as a right but he also he says i have a rule though um if you ever have to look around the room before you tell a joke you should get rid of that joke 
if you have to um and so and i agree with that um when you're thinking about an audience when you're preparing so so almost crisis of faith became this sort of proving ground for you know what i mean and he he's even clear about that he's like well if i'm sitting at a booth at a at a uh at the comedy cellar or something and we're talking about bits and we're trying things out with other comedians i'll say things there that i won't look around for first like that things that i'll discover like yeah i wouldn't have i probably wouldn't say that on stage and so i think crisis of faith ended up being this kind of thing where it's like well i didn't think about who's in the room i didn't look around but if i had i wouldn't have said some of those things like if some of my close evangelical friends were listening to this i wouldn't say some of the things i said if my yeah if if my parents were listening to this i wouldn't have said some of the things that i said um but they're not and they weren't and this isn't for them and that's kind of what we ended up doing was just documenting a very vulnerable very strange and maybe even a little bit uh we'll see dangerous uh, <laughs> kinds of <laughs> conversations um but that's just the nature of it. Another comedian I like a lot, Patton Oswalt, at one of his his maybe it's a newer special. He has a bit where he says, "No matter how woke I am today, at some point I'm going to be on a stage and I'm going to say something about like, can you believe some people are fucking their clones? And then I'm going to get canceled for that because <laughs> because <laughs> apparently that's a thing that like, um, I, it's always gonna the bar is always going to be moving um yeah like what it's okay to say and when and how and so a lot of what i was just ranting about is my way of maybe even apologizing to some people like hopefully you listen to episode 97 is that it is this it 97 sure i don't know um before you listen to anything else out of context and hear me saying yeah i'm sorry if that was offensive i didn't mean it for you to hear (laughs) If you were offended by it, I didn't. I, if you were offended by it, I didn't mean for you to hear it. <laughs> Is that blanket enough? I think that covers it. If I had, if I had known, well, I'll, I'll if I had my known letter, you were here, I would have never said that. <laughs> Can I make a confession first? Yeah, I don't really. I'm not really into Patton Oswalt. No. No. Isn't I, uh, that weird? Um, he's so good. I mean, I respect. I know that he's good. Yeah, like because everybody who I respect as a comedian respects him. Well, he is. That's who he is. He's a comedian's comedian. Um, yeah, I, I don't think he has a whole lot of like real broad appeal. He's he's probably not funny to most people on stage as as funny to people on stage as he was to most people on King of Queens. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. He's probably funnier in that role that's written for a broad audience. But yeah, I, I think he uh I like him, but he's also uh he's a sci-fi nerd um and comic book big into those kinds of things and like so he he goes into those um Yeah, I don't I think it's the delivery thing for me. Could sure. I don't I don't know anyway. what it is exactly, but you're right. There is there is something that in general, he doesn't seem to have as broad of an appeal as you might kind of expect him to because of his. Yeah, level and I mean, of fame. I'm not. Does everybody I'm kind know, of is he a, a household name? Like, does everybody know him? I think so, because he's an actor. You know, he, he's, he's more famous a lot of, than his stand-up. I think. Yeah, for but sure. But he's a stand-up. Like that was 
that's yeah. where it came from. That's how he got connected. That like he's on King of Queens because he was friends with Kevin James as a stand-up. Like they, he probably Kevin James probably opened for him. Like he was probably doing it first. He was around. Yeah. He ran around with Chappelle. I mean, I'm and, into yeah. Like I'm I'm a stand-up connoisseur. Yeah. Uh, but I just never never got into his stuff. Anyway, here's a letter. <clears throat> Dear Christians, <laughs> what do you say at the end of an era? <laughs> None of this is what I bargained for, that's for sure. I'm a theology teacher by training, so I started this podcast thinking it was a fun way to teach some theology. First to Drew, <laughs> and then uh, when we realized that, we, that some of you were actually listening, uh, to all of you as well. But it turned out to be part of one of the most important and fruitful moments of growth in my life so far. Um, part of that is because I finally got honest about some of the most intimate and frightening parts of my life. You know, I talked about my sexual history and my divorce and my loss of belief and my disillusionment with the religious system that my livelihood and my identity are still very much tied to. Uh, but it it wasn't just the like true confessional nature of the podcast. There's some strange alchemy that happened on these Zoom calls that Drew and I recorded every week. Something about the intimacy and the honesty of it, or I don't know, maybe it, I just never had taken an hour a week to work through some shit. Hmm. But whatever it was at some point I realized that I had a lot more work to do here myself. Uh, I thought that my coming out, if I could use that kind of sacred phrase outside of its proper context was the final stage in a process that I thought I had completed. But it turns out that telling the truth about who you've become after a long and tedious inner battle is actually just a door to the next and deeper path. My gay friends probably could have told me that already. <clears throat> and it was scary as fuck. I don't think that some people realize that, but it really was. Um, since we started the podcast, I have coached countless people through talking to their parents or their friends or their partners about their spiritual transition. And it's scary for everybody. Um, I dropped my very first F-bomb in front of my parents, and then the next couple of hundred after that, on the air. <laughs> um, I told them that I was having unprotected sex as a teenager, and that I don't believe in God, and that I'm pro-choice, all with an edit button available to me after it came out of my mouth. And I had to choose every time not to use it. <laughs> Uh, and that was really hard. And the, uh, the straining to be honest as I could be and the weekly revelations about what I was becoming, the inner work necessary to make sense of that, the whole thing, just so hard. Um, and this is where the letter gets sappy, <laughs> if it hasn't already. But it's true. Uh, it means a lot to me to have you all to have borne witness to all of that. Um, 
and here's where it gets really, really sappy. <clears throat> it has honestly been one of the great pleasures of my life to have connected with so many people through this podcast. Some are old friends and some are new. Uh, and people have told me their stories of religious wounding and spiritual transition and liberation. Their crisis of faith stories. Uh, some of the stories that I heard were really harrowing and most were awkward and some were beautiful. And I've watched people get the courage to be honest about who they are and I've seen people embrace the freedom to follow their spiritual path. And I am honestly so humbled and so honored at the opportunity to have gotten to hear even a bit of your story. So thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, thank you for sharing. Genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, I'm so grateful to you. And you will always be part of my crisis of faith. Are you finished? I'm finished. That was it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um that's brilliant really a really great way to put it I, as i'm listening to it i'm thinking <clears throat> about my own letter which i'll you know i'll i'll share next and how hearing how different your experience like being in the world that you were in with the job that you had and you know finishing your phd in the process of this and like um how it's so different than my experience for the last couple of years <laughs> in this yeah i mean you have I, I i even know that like i can even see some publicly like in the the crisis of faith group like you have lots of people communicating with you about you know listening to episodes and having and I have what I was exactly the number of people that I shared the podcast with personally are the ones that I hear from um oh that's which are about five people who were in my church um before I stopped having a church and then there are a handful of people that I shared this with and said let me know what you think and I've never heard from them since <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so that's very interesting of, <clears throat> a huge part of my experience of this podcast is i don't know why this is that this happened to me and not to you i literally get messages every week from people about at first it was about the podcast like hey heard this on your podcast this is interesting um and now it's just about their own people's own faith journey. Yeah. Um, and it, like, I'm still, I still get every week people are contacting me. Um, and a, a lot of them are people that I knew like from my past, um, who were and like people I never expected, like people we went to high school with or whatever, or like people that I knew, you know, from a, from a different life that I never expected to talk to again. Yeah. Um, and they somehow, or even like, I mean, there are, there are people who, um, like who I don't really know, but their, their kids go to my kid's school and they somehow, I don't know, you like, right. Just whatever. Right. I've, people run into me and, 
Um, and then some people are just people who we've met through the podcast who I ne- who I had no connection with, um, and they they somehow reached out to us like, and I've just kept in touch with a lot of people yeah. um, from that. And that's been a huge, huge part of my experience in this, this whole thing. Yeah. And, and, and again, like my, and my processing of it all and my experience of it all has been like a world, my world has been shrinking, um, for much of this journey like it wasn't oh right um, or my, have... my social circles have been shrinking yep. like i was very very much a part of this community like i i was i don't know it's the, the first line of my my letter is i was an evangelical preacher when we started this <laughs> um at least in every measurable way um and now i'm not anymore I'm neither evangelical nor a preacher, uh, and also I don't have any uh, any place in that community. Now, I am building a new community, but it's just beginning. Like, we're, we're building new, we're forging new relationships. <laughs> and there's some that, that maintained, like, s- some of those five people um, who listened the whole time, like, we're closer in some ways than we were before we're a lot more open with each other and in other ways we don't see each other every week anymore like we did when we went to church (laughs) yeah Uh, so um i guess we're gonna end up doing both in one episode right yeah let's do i just read the first line of mine so i guess i might as well just (laughs) read my letter too and it's hard to talk about like i guess the thing is like it's it's hard to talk about your experience in it all without talking about my experience in it all and then back to yours you know what i mean like right 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 uh we're not talking about the 10 years before crisis of faith where we had completely unrelated experiences we're talking about both like sort of on the same journey um but seeing two very different uh experiences of it have you seen the have you seen the sketch on uh, SNL of like it's Kate McKinnon is like sitting in these stonewashed jeans that are pulled up to her belly button and she's smoking a cigarette and there's two other people and they're te- they're recounting stories of being abducted by aliens. Okay. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Have yeah. you seen that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's like two people and they're talking about like it was so beautiful and I was taken up into the into the the outer atmosphere of the earth and I felt so warm and I was loved and then uh the alien looked me in the eye and I felt this sense of peace and belonging like we all share the universe and then I floated back down and I woke up and I felt better than I've ever felt and Kate <laughs> like takes a puff on a cigarette and says Ah, that wasn't my experience. (laughs) (laughs) And then she talks about being probed by the aliens or whatever. Like, (laughs) 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 I can't remember. Like, there's several several words that she uses there that I'm just like I've never heard. um, Knockers used so effectively. (laughs) She's like, they just couldn't get enough of my knockers. And coot coot, <laughs> she uses the coot coot. That's right. <laughs> she uses the phrase coot coot. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so I think. 
I don't think I had seen that. I think you showed it to me when we were in Charleston mm. visiting Megan. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of my uh it's one of my favorite sketches, but it's it's also like as I'm hearing you read your letter and there was a part of me that thought like I should probably go first cuz yours will be nicer. And there's another part of me that's kind of like, I don't know, I think it makes more sense for me to be like, ah, it didn't go like that for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um in all seriousness though, it it has been like really um a beautiful and wonderful experience that I wouldn't trade for anything. My life is so different now on the other end of crisis of faith. Um, I don't know. I'm just going to get into this. Uh, it's also not written like a letter to anyone as much as it was just me kind of processing things in, in the, the areas of my life that have changed um, and how they've changed. So I, I started this as an evangelical pastor um, in earnest, like I, I think I actually thought I was an evangelical pastor, um, who thought about some things differently, uh, but ultimately still fit in the fold somewhere. Like I felt like I had a role to play within evangelicalism, and now I pretend that I never was that, even when I'm around evangelicals, and perhaps especially when I'm around evangel like the the church that I do music for now. I'd never talk about being a pastor once. Um, that's not something that most of them know because I'm afraid of the questions that would follow. Um, I never intended to have a crisis of faith, certainly not on the air. I mean, not really. I thought it was clever and cute to talk about deconstruction in these terms, but I honestly thought we were just making smart jokes and smart observations that ultimately would simply prove the point that we were right and those who served as the butt of our jokes were wrong. That's, um, I thought that a lot of people had a house of cards faith that had structurally necessary cards that were easy to pull out um, or that would likely pull themselves out if they ever talked about it at all. Um, but what ended up happening on this show is that my own house of cards actually fell down. Um, not some of it, not just the right side, the left side, not just the parts that I didn't think were that important. The whole thing came down. Some of the cards fell off the table and floated away to places I can't reach them again. Um, some cards, once they had disappeared from my sight, I, I can no longer remember what they were. I don't, I don't even know how the house stood up before. There were necessary pieces of this puzzle, to mix metaphors for just a moment, of my faith that I don't even remember what they look like. I don't know what pieces are missing, but I know I can't build a house like I used to have anymore. Um, so that's kind of just an introductory paragraph. And then I have like three categories of things that I think are, I think were the foundation of the house and they're gone. And, you know, you and I have talked about before how it's like, we treated faith, it just became such a, a metaphor that with that was so rich for me personally, um, that we treated faith like like you were supposed to gather these cards, and there are 52 of them, and you have to use every one of them, and you build a house with it. Um, but in reality, I'm not on my letter here, by the way, for the listener. Joe knows that, but... <laughs> um, 
what happens is effectively you can't play anymore. There's no there's no space. It's super rigid. Um, everything has a use, and it's all very delicate, and it's all sort of propped up by everything else. And it it may even end up being somewhat arbitrary which ones are on the bottom. It's just the ones that you put there first. <laughs> like, um, but we use this metaphor of like, well, once the house of cards comes down, then you can play the game. Then then there are endless possibilities of what you can do with a deck of cards. You can't do anything except add to the house that you're building if you're building a house. Um, but once it comes down, you know, there, there's tricks you can play. There's there's lots of fun things. But, um, all right, do you have anything to interject before I get into my three? No, I'm just going to let you roll. Keep going. All right. I'm into it. I think there were... I think there were a, there were cards in a suit that I will call afterlife that floated off into the cracks of the floor. There wasn't just a single card, you know, it, there there were cards relating to heaven that were a massive part of the foundation. There were cards related to hell, like a lot of them, maybe maybe most of the foundation I, I think I've discovered more and more even I, I I drifted away from that for a little while and thought nah hell maybe isn't that big of a deal and now I'm back around to like nah I think it's the whole deal <laughs> I think I think it all hinges on that I think there is a set of cards in that afterlife suit that promised to answer a lot of hard questions like I, I think my faith somehow told me there's some stuff you won't understand until after you die, and then we'll explain how it was all done. And um, and I don't think that anymore. I, those those cards are just gone. Like I, I don't. I think there's. I think there's shit that just doesn't get explained. Um, I don't think I have a framework for afterlife at all anymore. And sometimes that's scary, and sometimes that's nice. Like I, I don't know. It's it's come up over and over again in the last year of this. Um, I, but I, I can't imagine anything beyond this life anymore. And I I tell myself it'll be fine. It's kind of my life's biggest procrastination now. It's like that'll be fine. <laughs> let let future Drew worry about that. But I don't know if I believe anything. Um, and so much of my faith hinged on that before. There's another suit of cards um, that are called spiritual practice. I think maybe they fell off the table and landed in the fire. I, I watched them burn and felt relief. They're not the same thing as the heaven and hell and afterlife cards for me. They were, they were stressful. Um, my spiritual practice as an evangelical was a source of um, anxiety and tension it was you know I, I used to have a set of practice that governed my life my inner life my outer life my entire life was governed there was a card to study the bible enough was never enough um i i genuinely felt guilty for reading anything that wasn't the bible ever in my life reading a news article if it started taking too long i thought i should have just been in the scriptures all these time all this time um I had a card for prayer, um, which I'll talk about in a little more detail in my, my last section. 
I had a card to contemplate the things of God, as I used to label them <laughs> deeply, you know, to constantly just consider what is God up to, like to, to ponder what God wants. And I think that's, I think that might be one of the reasons that I was happy to see that that suit of cards just burn away. Like any game that involves me trying to figure out what the cosmos wants from me is a right. stupid game. Like I'm yeah. not here to play that game. Um, and ultimately, if if God is disappointed in humanity, that's his fault, not mine. I mean, that's my... That that's my word to. It's something I say to my wife from time to time whenever this stuff comes up again. That she, it's one of those things where it's like I don't think she likes to hear me say it, um, but then also she kind of agrees with me whenever I'm like, basically, if you believe the Bible like an evangelical, what you believe is God is bad at making humans. If you believe that God makes humans and then has to punish the bad ones in an eternal fire then mostly he just makes bad humans. We wouldn't forgive a, a business for <laughs> putting out that many bad apples. Um, right. Or you have to accept one of two things, I think, with that framework. It's one, God is bad at making humans, or two, God really likes to torture humans. Um, and I think both of the, the, like, that's, it's a spiritual practice issue. It's just like living with this constant weight on your shoulders that God wants more from you. Um, and, uh, and I was happy to see that suit burn. And then finally, I think this is most important. I don't know. There were cards in a suit called God um, that floated out the window. Um, I used to talk to God like God was interested in what I had to say. <laughs> um, and I use, before I get too far from the metaphor, I, I chose each of these kind of strategically to say like some of them fell in the cracks, the, have the afterlife stuff. Like, I don't know what happened to that. Stuff. I don't know how to think that way anymore. I just, <laughs> it's gone. Some of it I was happy to, you know, it fell in the fire accidentally. And then I was like, I could get it out, but I don't think I'm gonna, <laughs> And then there's this section where I say they floated out the window because I I think if I went out and explored a little bit, I could probably find some of this again. Um, and I think that's hopefully where we're headed. I used to talk about, I used to talk to God like God was interested in what I had to say every day, um, kind of all day. Like I used to ask God for things that I wanted and I expected God to respond. Um, I still do that sometimes. And mm -hmm. I feel weird about it now, but I still do it, um, especially when I'm feeling desperate. I recently had to, um, I performed a wedding for some friends, some people that actually were a part of our church for a little while bef when we had a church. And um, I think they're in a somewhat similar place as I am in terms of their relationship with, with faith structure. Certainly they're certainly their position with organized religion. Um, and at the end of the ceremony, I invited friends and family and everyone gathered to join me in a moment of prayer. And I've never felt more phony in my <laughs> entire life than that moment. Yeah. And I didn't know, like yeah. it, I choked on the words. <clears throat> um, mm -hmm. 
I, I pray in church on Sunday mornings a lot right now when I'm like leading worship and doing that thing. And I don't think about it at all. Those people don't know me from before. Those people don't know me deeply. And it's just a, it's a theater element. It's just performance art. I'm just inviting people to a, a sort of spiritual practice that we've all agreed on there. And, um, and I don't have to think about it deeply, but in this moment, these were people who were part of my previous life and part of my current life. And I had to pray in front of them and it just, it didn't occur to me until the moment. Um, and I, you know, I said these words, dear heavenly father, mm-hmm. which felt so strange and kind of gross and awkward and whatever. Um, my throat got caught on it and, and then I was grateful that I had written a prayer down the day before something I would have never done in my previous life. I would have never considered, um, even if I thought it would be better if I did, I wouldn't have let myself do that. But this time I was like, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's Google something (laughs) and modify (laughs) it. Like how, how would a preacher pray at a wedding? (laughs) (laughs) So I read the prayer. I can't tell if I'm still holding um, any of the cards for God. Um, It's like one of those cards or a few of those cards landed face down on the table in the crash. And I can't bring myself to flip them over and see if maybe God's on the other side. (laughs) Some of them fell out the window and I'm not really sure how to go look for them um but as as far as the cards i'm holding i I think i prefer to just leave some of them face down for a while (laughs) so that god can be this faceless you know attributeless placeholder um that maybe gets filled again with something that's helpful and um Um, I don't know what, what word I'm looking for. Like, I, I think I just, I never felt alone when I had God to talk to. Um, and now sometimes I feel kind of deeply alone. You know, I, mm. I'm done. My letter's over, but I, I think I said on the show somewhat recently that I've been reading about existentialism and existential therapy in particular as a counselor and finding a, a, you know, some comfort in it and, and finding myself just nodding a lot and saying, yeah, that, that's where it's at right there. And one of the key elements of existential therapy is the acceptance that ultimately you're alone. Um, that ultimately you have relationships and you have friendships and you have these connections to people. But on some level you got here by yourself, you live in your head by yourself and you'll leave here by yourself. Um, (laughs) and that's kind of dreadful and painful, but I also think it's a seed of an idea that I, I can't let it go without Mm -hmm. resolving it to some extent. And God, these cards that are face down for me, are still this kind of hope that maybe that's not really true. Um, And if it has sounded at all to anybody still listening at this point, 
that I'm like depressed or broken in all of this. I, I want to say, first of all, I don't think I am like, I don't think it's having that kind of effect on me. It's only whenever I sit and try to figure out, it's only whenever I try to fit my new mind into my old, you know, it's when I try to pour new wine into old wineskins that I start to sound really depressed and dark and like what I'm ultimately saying is not that I don't think life has any meaning what I'm ultimately saying is the way that I used to approach this now whenever I think that way I feel very purposeless and very meaningless and very lost Um, and on some level crisis of faith the chapter that it was has to end for me because this is the way forward um, for it if if I don't sort of uh say all right well i'm throwing out the old wineskins like to quote jesus like i'm still finding value in the teaching jesus literally says if you try to pour new wine into old wineskins they'll burst and you'll lose both you'll ruin the old wineskins for some people that like maybe still find some value in it like you're just gonna you're just gonna wreck them and they they're worth something to some people and you'll lose the new wine that I'm that I'm trying to offer you if if we're to like give Jesus some kind of divine voice here like he's saying I, if you want something new and something fresh and you're you're actually open to it then you got to throw out the old structures um or it will just cause tension and pressure and and it'll explode on you that's I don't really know, did that I last part make sense cuz I didn't want to I didn't want to sound I feel like I've sounded depressed several times and I don't sound that way in anywhere else in life, but it's just when I'm trying to get back to this, that it's like, that is meaningless. That is broken for me now. It does make me sad to try to think that way, but I don't think that way anymore. So I don't feel that way. All right, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I, I think that's great. I think you're, you don't sound depressed to me. I mean, that that sounds like exactly the kind of experience that, that I've had and I've never thought about that um that passage the way that you just said it um that the old wineskins too are valuable right that somebody somebody's still using those sure um and that's I mean that's part of what <laughs> we started off this episode with like your little apology um in some ways it's like saying I'm sorry I here I was getting all this new wine and I didn't have any new wineskins yet and you know i i might have burst some of yours and i'm sorry i didn't mean to yeah um right yeah uh and and you know in some ways like we needed to do that because we needed to get rid of our old wineskins so that we could find our new ones but if if we broke yours along the way and you weren't finished with them yet um we're sorry. We didn't mean to do that, really. Yeah. Yeah, and that sucks. Uh, that's like I think that's what happened at that wedding. Cuz I'm like I'm I'm standing there with people for whom I may have I may have helped to, you know, build up the integrity of their old wineskins. Like Yeah. I was their pastor for like 4 or yeah. 5 years. Um and then all of this went down like my own journey in my faith, um, my like giving up on the church and giving up on vocational ministry as I had experienced it. Um, 
and then standing in this place and I'm like, oh yeah, I have to, I need to pretend to be an old wineskin here, even though I'm full of new wine. <laughs> like, uh, and it felt so disingenuous. It felt like I was just, I don't know, just spewing it's, something. It was really interesting to me to hear you say, to hear you talk about um, your your cards labeled God having floated out the window. Because I, I don't think that I've heard you talk that way, honestly, on on the show before. I mean, sometimes when you talk, I just like... Yeah, play free sale on my phone or whatever, but (laughs) that that's been a huge part of my crisis of faith, like the podcast journey that I've talked about a lot on on the show. Um, And I think we were probably at a different place in it. What what I think happened for me was. I. All of my God cards had floated out the window before we ever started this. Right. Um, But I had not admitted that even to myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And the process of this show brought me to admit that first to myself and then to you on (laughs) on the air. Uh, So to, you know, whoever else was listening. Um, And then, you know, kind of work through that to the point where I was publicly talking about it i actually went on another podcast as a guest to talk about that very thing like being a theologian and a church guy and all this who doesn't and then even to my own church which like was is crazy and it's um it's weird you know you talk like i i also have that same struggle about praying um but I genuinely love my church and my church work. Not just, I don't just mean like, oh, I love the people, the community's important, but I don't believe in any of that stuff. Um, I right. mean, I love my work as a director of spiritual formation at First United Methodist Church. I think it's important. I think it's powerful. I think it's meaningful. I think I do a good job at it and I don't believe in God. Yeah. Um, and so, and like that means sometimes praying and it's like, I feel all that tension about, yeah, I, you know, I don't know who it is that I'm praying to. And, and also part of my journey in crisis of faith has been like, I, I have now come to the place where I'm not, I'm not even going outside to look for those cards. Like I, Hmm. I think I've come to a place where both like admitting, oh, I lost those cards a long time ago. And also, oh, I think I'm done with them. I didn't actually need them anyway, it turns out. Um, Yeah. And I I don't know where the other day I I was at. Oh, sorry. Good. Yeah. I I was just going to say, like, I want to hear that. Um, But I was just going to say, I don't know where I am on it, but I suspect if I know myself at all that, um, that I will never fully embrace that there is no God involved in things. I don't think I'm capable of that. Even if God becomes a collective consciousness of all humanity kind of entity for me, 
to me, that still seems worthy of uh, addressing, acknowledging, perhaps even communing with in some way. Like I, I think that's where I'm headed. You don't, you don't get to pick this stuff for yourself um, on some level, but I did just want to say where like, um, I want to go outside and look on the ground and just see what's there. I want to flip those cards that are face down over at some point. Um, I'm not sure I have the technology to do it at this point. I don't know how. It's not as simple as being like, I don't know, you're like, where do you look for God? (laughs) It's kind of a... um, I know shrooms. I know people look for God with (laughs) shrooms. Uh, (laughs) Apparently God lives inside of the ones that don't kill you or taste like meat. Um, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, what were you going to say? Oh, it was just a silly thing. I... Um, do you guys have Aldi? Yep. So if, for people who don't have it, you know, it's a grocery store where part of the thing is you have to like buy your shopping cart with a quarter. Well, you get it back, but rent whatever. It. You have to, yeah, you rent your, <laughs> rent your shopping cart for a quarter. So I had, um, yesterday I was at Aldi. I, I had just come from class and, uh, then I had a meeting like, so I had just a, an hour that I had to get my grocery shopping done for the week. Um, and it was like the only time I was going to get to it. And I, so I pulled up to the Aldi parking lot and realized, Oh shit, I don't have a quarter. It's like, this is gonna, this is gonna blow my whole week. Like <laughs> everything is delicately balanced on my having a quarter. Uh, and so I'm like scrounging through my car and stuff, looking for it and can't find anything. And I found myself praying like, please God help me find a quarter or help. And somebody uh, eventually I like just accosted some family in the parking lot and said, Hey, can I please have your cart when you're done <laughs> unloading your groceries? Um, so God answered your prayer. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. And I even, I thought then like, well, this is so stupid. I don't believe in God. Why am I praying? Like, and I'm praying about the most petty, stupid nonsense that even, even when I did believe in God, I would have said, God's not going to answer a prayer like that. Like I, that's fun. Like, you know, what's bizarre is like, I had a similar experience recently where I was like, oh, come on, God, help me out here. Like I've, I've really... And it was a moment where I was like, I would have never prayed that <laughs> yeah. as an evangelical. I would yeah, have ne- right. I would have always thought like finding a quarter for an Aldi shopping cart is not worth a prayer. Like I'm not going to bother God with that. Yeah. And now it's only the most menial and annoying things in life that you're like, <laughs> <laughs> or real desperation um, for me still. I, um most important thing to me about that story though is what is the what's the point of the quarter shopping cart thing for Aldi? What do you think is their what's oh, their end it's game? So they don't have to have an employee take the time to go around and gather up carts from the Yeah. Like from the parking lot. Do so you have to um, return your cart to get your quarter? To get your quarter back. I so was just make sure I, you do the work. That makes a little more It's just s- like bagging your own groceries. Yeah, which you have to they do, do all, all the things to make you do the work. Yeah. Huh. I was just thinking you. that it was like, in my head, it was a, 
it like you you kind of think of it as like a deposit on like I'm going to return this shopping cart to get my deposit back except yeah. the deposit is in the shopping cart itself yeah <laughs> so Aldi is like if you don't return your shopping cart you're not going to get your quarter back and I'm like yeah my quarter is in my shopping cart now <laughs> like if I steal your shopping cart I also get my deposit <laughs> My deposit <laughs> is part of the structural integrity of your shopping cart. Um, it's part of the banana so I didn't understand. integrity of this cart. Preacher, <laughs> it feels like this might be one of the final crises of faith jingles. Is it true that every time you write one, an angel gets the tingles? What would you say if you had to say it all in one little letter? I'd say thanks for the memories. Please don't cancel me. I'm not done, but I'm getting better. Mm.